Life is not easy. Most of us can give testimony to the fact that, in fact, life can be hard. And we are sometimes stuck in what can often be referred to as the human condition. Into this human condition, the Bible speaks truth. And for today, seven words of truth. Beginning with the second chapter of Genesis, let us hear carefully and deeply what the Bible has to tell us within the first 12 chapters of the very first book of the Bible. Seven words of truth. The first word of truth comes in just this simple verse. 7, chapter 2. God formed this man out of the dust of the earth. Our first word of truth is dust. Where do we come from? Now, the Bible is a very old collection of words and stories. Just this week, I was sharing in our Fresh Start service that three different times this week in conversations with various people, the question came, how can a roughly 2,000-year-old or more book have anything to say to my life today? Our first word of truth gets to the heart of you and me. That is, at least in a physical sense, what we are made of. Now, you probably know there are basically four primary elements that compose the human body. Oxygen, hydrogen, nitrogen, and carbon. The only solid element in that list is what you and I physically are made up with, which, by the way, John Polkinghorne, the great astrophysicist in England, also a Christian, likes to say, physically, human beings are nothing more than recycled stardust. In other words, we are primarily made of carbon, therefore we are dust. You probably have heard about the little boy that went to his mommy and said, Mommy, is it true that God made us from dust? And she said, yes, that's true. He said, is it also true that when we die we return to dust? And she said, yes, that's true. Why do you want to know? And he said, well, I've been looking under my bed and there's somebody under there either a coming or a going. So the profound nature of this truth that we are dusty, earthy people. Growing up in Signal Mountain, Tennessee, on the playground in Signal Mountain Elementary School, we used to yell at each other, you ain't nothing but dirt. We didn't know we were preaching the gospel. This is what the Bible says. 
We are earthy people. Physically, we are nothing more than recycled stardust. And yet, the second half of this one verse in the second chapter offers us a very interesting juxtaposition. We are made of dust, but listen to the way the Bible words this. God reached into the dust of the earth and formed a human shape. And then, this brings us to our second word of truth, God breathed the breath of life into this form, and he became a human being. Listen carefully. He wasn't a human being when he was just dust. All he was, according to the Bible, was a shape, a human form. He became a human being how? God breathed the breath of life into us. The second word of truth then is spirit. This amazing Hebrew word ruach that means wind. It can also mean breath. It also means spirit. There's something going on in the midst of our earthiness. Yes, we are earthy people made of dust, and yet there's something profoundly sacred in you and me called the Spirit, the Ruach of God. Now, you may find that difficult with some of the folks you hang around with. You see more of the earthy side of them maybe than the holy side. But what the Bible tells us in our second word of truth is there is more to us than we possibly can imagine that is within us because it comes from beyond us, the Spirit of God. These two words of truth from just this one verse in the second chapter of Genesis. In the third chapter of Genesis, we hear a story about now man and a woman in a garden. And by the way, the, the man is called Adam, which in Hebrew, many of you know, means dust. And later the woman will be named Eve, which sadly for us men means something like paradise. Don't think on that too long. The man named dirt, the woman named beauty, Paradise, I don't know, something. If you wonder why we men are a little paranoid, it started at the very beginning of time. Third chapter of Genesis, the man and the woman in the garden, they make a remarkable discovery. They are naked. Our third word of truth emanates out of this third chapter where the man and the woman suddenly realize, not so much they're without clothing, this means the same in Hebrew as it does in English, it can mean that we are without clothes. But as in English and in Hebrew, if I say to you, boy, when I stood before that congregation at First Baptist, I just felt totally naked. Well, I don't mean without clothes, what do I mean? I mean vulnerable, exposed. I wasn't quite sure how they were going to feel about me. I felt very vulnerable. The man and the woman make this discovery. They are naked. That is, they're not in control of their environment. They are vulnerable to stuff around them. They're exposed to stuff they cannot understand fully and control 
completely. They are naked. Which now in this third chapter unveils our fourth word of truth. Nakedness, this vulnerability, this recognition that I'm not in control makes me like this man and the woman in the garden when God is walking through this paradise and looks out for the man and the woman and says, where are you? And the man calls out and says, we're over here. We're hiding because we are afraid. We have discovered that we're naked. Our fourth word of truth, fear. And by the way, in the midst of this fear, God says to the man, how did you know you were naked? Did you eat from that tree that I told you not to eat from? And the man in this great moment of courageous stand says, it was the woman. It wasn't me. And then the woman, also very brave, says, it was the serpent, not me. In other words, in our exposed vulnerability, we are not only fearful, but we're buck passers. And we want to blame other people for the problems we have made for ourselves. Fear does all kinds of strange, sad, tragic things, where in our pilgrimages, too often, instead of giving off proactive love, we respond in reactive fear and create all kinds of problems for us and for others. 365 times in the Bible, fear is lifted up in grave concern. More often in the Bible is fear addressed than love is called for. Because I think in the, in the genius of the scripture, the Bible recognizes that if we cannot deal effectively with our fears, we will have a very difficult time genuinely loving anyone. It is a powerful reminder how destructive fear can be. This reveals now our fifth word of truth in the fourth chapter of Genesis, the story of Cain and Abel. They, like their mother and father, are dealing with their nakedness and their fear. And Cain begins to suspect that his brother Abel is perhaps a little better than he is, and he begins to feel now our four, fifth word of truth, competition. Fear, you see, we, we, we are afraid that we're not going to keep up. Marketers in our society, Madison Avenue has spent literally billions and billions of dollars studying how you and I think. And guess what they've concluded? The most effective marketing strategy is to utilize, guess what? What we are afraid of. We're afraid we're not going to keep up with the folks around us. We're afraid we're going to be left out. We're afraid we're getting older. We're afraid we're not as attractive as the person next to us. We're afraid we're not driving the right stuff or living in the right neighborhoods or hanging with the right people. And therefore, we are in competition with one another. It's not that competition just started with a laissez-faire economy that we are a part of. But the fact that we are in a very competitive society 
in a very competitive time means that we are even more competitive with one another than we have been in the past. These amazing words of truth that emanate out of Scripture speak the truth to how you and I are tempted to think and act and react and treat one another, including things like, you heard the term networking? Well, I really need to do a better job of networking. Networking, it's not about making friends. It's about using people to your ends so that you can move up the ladder of success. Why? Because we're in competition with the people around us. And friendship gets lost on the train of trying to move forward without those around us that can enrich our lives. When we are afraid, we are competitive. And when we are competitive, we stumble into what is now our sixth word of truth that comes out of the 11th chapter of Genesis. It's the story of the Tower of Babel. You're familiar with this, some of you. You perhaps remember, like I do, growing up in church and having Sunday school teachers say, in this 11th chapter of Genesis, this people on the plain of Shinar decided to build a tower to the sky so that they could get closer to God and more effectively worship. How many of you remember that? That's what I was told. It wasn't until seminary I actually read the Bible. At least, well... I actually read the 11th chapter of Genesis more carefully. (laughs) Wow, that didn't come out right. The 11th chapter of Genesis and discovered that's not at all what the Bible says. It says the following. Let us build a tower to the heavens so that, listen, we can make a name for ourselves and our names will not be forgotten. Our sixth word of truth is pride. When we're naked and we're afraid and we're competitive, we've got to resort to this old-fashioned, time-tested, prideful nature of looking out on people who are not like us and say, I'm better than you. I deserve more blessing than you. I deserve more stuff than you. I am better than you. But the Bible also tells us about pride, that pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. This sixth word of truth, each of these kind of a a warning flag to remind us these are all a part of the human condition. These are stumbling blocks in, in our way. But there is this reminder consistently that still in the midst of all this messiness, God has breathed into us the breath of life that is the Spirit of God that changes everything. It can strengthen us to be better than we think we possibly can be. Which brings us now to the seventh word of truth. Our six words, dust, spirit, nakedness, fear, competition, pride. And by the way, before we get to our seventh word, we have the coolest staff ever. 
And I am so thankful for these good people that I have the great honor to work with. Randall Hampton is one of those members of our staff who quietly works in the background and helps me prepare our PowerPoints each Sunday. And when I gave him these seven words of truth, he took them and brought them back in Hebrew. Randall Hampton speaks Hebrew. There he is, right there. I said, Randall, I can't even read this. What is this stuff? It's Hebrew, man. What's wrong with you? (laughs) Which brings us to our seventh word of truth. In the 12th chapter of Genesis, a very strange thing happens. In the first 11 chapters, we're dealing with, with this general sense of where we all come from. It's, it's about everybody everywhere. And then in the 12th chapter, there is new specificity. It's a man and a woman, Abraham and Sarah. And God does a strange thing because, you see, God has a dream that in the midst of all this messiness, that somehow we can figure out that this isn't about us and it's not because of us, but it is through us that the Spirit of God can do something amazing. God says to Abraham and Sarah, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to, listen, to the people who look like you and sound like you and dress like you and just live very close to where you live. Is that right? If you know the 12th chapter of Genesis, it is a fulcrum in the history of tribalism. Because in those days, roughly 2000 BC, everybody lived in their own little niche. They didn't trust people who weren't like them. They didn't want to go outside their tribe unless they were conquered by some outside power. It was only involuntary conquest that people had to go outside of their own little sense of family ties. And then this bizarre, this radical dream of God comes into the 12th chapter of Genesis where God says to this man and this woman, who, by the way, were off the charts old, and says to them, I am going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to all the families of the earth. This makes no sense. At least in that tribal context, it makes no sense unless you've got a dream that goes beyond what human minds at the time are thinking and dreaming and imagining. There is no way Abraham came up with this plan. There is no way Sarah imagined this strategic vision for the future. This comes from outside of the human condition and reminds us that in you and me, in our dustiness and our messiness, there is this miraculous spirit of God. And it is from this 12th chapter of Genesis that Jesus continually refers to throughout the New Testament lessons. We are to be a blessing because we have been richly 
blessed. Everything Jesus did and stood for was about blessing other people. It is a powerful reminder that in spite of our earthiness, we have incredible sacredness that can be utilized by God in the dream of God. It can be as quiet as a whisper on the back steps of a slave cabin in 1863. Mr. Lincoln says we're free. Or it could be as loud as a shout from the front steps of the Lincoln Memorial. I have a dream today. God speaks to you and me still. In the midst of our earthy, dusty, strangeness, messiness, we are something special. And God calls us today and tomorrow. We have been richly, immensely blessed. And we are called to be a blessing. It's an amazing gift, an incredible opportunity, and a time for you and me to rise above all the warning signs and flags that these words of truth tell us and claim God's Spirit in us and the call of God's blessing to us and through us. Brothers and sisters, this is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.